Hello listener, welcome to Not Enough Champagne. Slightly different episode this one. Steve and I recorded with Shaz Rahman last week uh, talking about the IPCC report and climate change COP26, which will be out next week. After that, we had a quick chat with Shaz about the energy crisis that was happening. That's different to the fuel crisis, which I think has happened in the past week. And it's also slightly different to the food crisis as well, which we've talked about on previous podcasts. It's going to be a fun autumn and winter, isn't it, listeners? So uh, after the theme tune, sit back, relax, and listen to Shaz talk us through what's happening in the UK energy sector and why. listeners we are recording in a bunker remotely actually because of some various covid related nonsense and um we were lucky to be talking with shaz about the ipcc report that'll be coming out in a week or so but as it turns out the day we're going to be recording with shaz a massive energy market related story has broken and shaz as nothing of champagne's energy correspondent we thought it might make sense just to check in and see what's going on because I think it's on the Guardian website, isn't it? It's about five energy companies saying they're all going to run out of money or something. Yeah, two went bust last week. Uh, Utility Point, which had 220,000 customers, went bust. Uh, basically, rising gas prices have just caught everybody out. So energy companies, at a larger scale at least, uh, the likes of your British gases, will buy their energy years in advance. So they'll go to the wholesale markets and they'll say, we'll fix this price for energy for six months. We'll fix the price for 12 months. And that way they know how to calculate their prices and how to plan long-term. If you're a smaller supplier, like Utility Points, you don't have those economies of scale. And so when short-term shocks in the market happen, it's really hard for them to adapt. So there's a BBC article uh, that said that So energy insiders are expecting there to be a whole host of more failures in the market, as in companies going bust. So if you're a customer now, uh, you really should be on a fixed tariff. If not, go and fix your tariff. So I I work in the energy industry as my day job, and volatility is always been there, but since the price cap came in, say it was at 2018, companies that used to be able to print money have had to find new ways to diversify and to basically make a profit. So I work for one of the big six, which is kind of now four and a half. And they now make their money as much from selling energy solutions, such as solar panels, contracts with local authorities for things like highway lighting, smart meters, make the grids easier for them to use so they save money it's about technologies that will help customers and business to business partners rather than selling individuals gas electricity the basically the price cap has meant that companies can't make money that way anymore so that's diversify if you're a small provider who had say 50,000 customers 
your aim is to build a database of customers and then sell on to somebody else and then they can worry about making a profit but with wholesale gas prices going up and up and up small companies can't cope and then they go bust and then somebody else has to take them on and then it gets very messy so for example you may have a bill and you may be 300 pounds in credit but the new company that takes you on has to honor that and then those companies don't want to take you on because they don't want to give you 300 quid and then give you a contract which they won't make any money on there's there's a thing where and it's very true that fuel poverty is really bad and rising energy prices will put more people in fuel poverty but on the flip side energy companies aren't making money british gas had a fire and rehire controversy recently with some of their boiler engineers that's because they're radically reshaping their business model because they're in crisis you don't go through all of that if you're if you're in a festive business that's doing well you don't go through public like it was a really really public fire and rehire as well the strikes went on for ages gmb were involved and it was really bad pr and british gas will have lost some customers for it but you don't do that if you're if you're a happy business they sold off their american oil exploration business for billions but long term they have an existential crisis just like all the other energy companies okay so the price of gas is massively increasing yes and, and the, the key point with that is it gas prices are very elastic at all times so but remember where remember was it 18 months ago where oil prices were so low that basically rather than exporting oil they're just burning burning it in like mm. russia there's like barrels and barrels and barrels of oil which never made it anywhere they'll just set on fire because it wasn't worth storing them so you or you got markets that are so volatile when prices go up it's really hard for smaller players to adapt that's that's i think that's the key point for my monologue and why are they so volatile is it anything because i know russia sometimes has been sort of stopping supply is it gazprom i think stop supplies of gas to germany geopolitics. is that related to it or is this yeah so, so there's geopolitics so yeah so you know saudi arabia might fall out with you as well uh, uh, but also whether it can be harder to transport lots and lots of natural gas in extreme weather that, that those pipes are vast but you know you, you can't defeat mother nature all the time if it looks like there's going to be a shortage then the companies that are fixed are going to get their fix earlier and everyone else has to scramble and it's harder to get hold of what you need as much as everybody else has already fixed their prices and low winds apparently the guardian article says low wind speeds have reduced the uk's renewable energy generation again um, that's the thing with renewables is that they're intermittent the thing with coal is you can burn exactly as much coal as you want at all times if you've got four tons of coal you know you can burn four tons of coal if you're relying on sun and the wind i mean you can make generalizations but there will be periods where there is less wind than you, than you need so we, at the moment we, we couldn't meet all of our energy needs by wind and sun anyway as i, I mean this, this is controversial and not other climate activists will disagree with this but I, I am an advocate of, of nuclear as a bridge. Yeah, that's it's one it's one of the few ones where it gets the environmental movement really divided. 
most most things we kind of agree on you know more cycling less cars more wind turbines but nuclear is like because because nuclear whilst it's economically incredibly expensive once it's there it's it's reliable unless you know acts of god well or um incompetent monitoring but well let's not think about chernobyl at the moment i i would tend to agree on nuclear as well so we'll have to find someone else to, to have that have the argument the so the other thing so the other knock-on effect seems to be that there's a shortage of carbon dioxide which this means this no- me. I, I didn't realize this was a thing until i read the article no i thought the problem was we had too much carbon dioxide and now it turns out that we can't put it in fizzy drinks or I, I didn't know that carbon dioxide was used with the meat industry to stun animals as well before slaughtering them. That's so, a massive scale. I didn't know that yeah. was CO2. I don't, I don't know. I'd never really thought about it before. I didn't know how they stun animals. I just don't know. I thought they hit them over the head with a mallet or something. Or The wider point we can make, though, is that industries are interlinked. Yeah, that an unexpected shock in one industry can cause catastrophic consequences for another industry and I didn't know that there was this link until I read an article eight hours ago. And so whatever interlinked industries, so, you know, shortage of HGV drivers, that's having a whole host of shortages in other industries. There might be similar knock-on effects that I hadn't have known about, such as this. Like, who knew that the meat industry was so important for our energy supply? And a massive increase in energy bills presumably means it's, it's really good that the government's decided it's going to keep the £20 uplift on universal credit and isn't going to... Oh, never mind. Do you, want to make a, do you want to make a political point there? I can make an energy point. I was, I, well, I think there's a vague political point, right, isn't it? The government seems quite relaxed about uh, people ending up in poverty because they can't be bothered to keep the uplift. And their own work and pension, pension secretary, who somehow kept her job in the reshuffle, um, just said, well, it just means people have to work two extra hours, which implies she doesn't really understand her own briefings, given that that's nonsense. Yes, I have, I have a question about that. So do you think that Boris Johnson just doesn't think he's going to last beyond this election? So he doesn't care about the Red War seats anymore? So do you think he'll just ride off into the sunset in like 2022 or 23? So oh, I, therefore, I, I, all these things he was meant to say about Levin Gough don't matter. I think the opposite, actually, because Michael Gove is now in charge of levelling up. In fact, I think Michael Gove is following me because I was a teacher when Michael Gove was education and I started working for a labour group and lo- local councillors. Now he's in local government, so I'm quite scared. But so I, I got the impression you've got, um, you've got rid of people like Gavin Williamson, who a bit incompetent. You have people like Oliver Dowden and even to a lesser extent Nadine Dorries, they are, they've been promoted, essentially, to launch a culture war so they can get re-elected. Then the fact that you've got Michael Gove in charge of local government and levelling up means it's he's sort of delivers at the heart of his agenda. And I think Steve has made the point before, whatever you think about Michael Gove, he gets things done um, in a very sort of trains run on time, must any kind of way. Um, so in that sense, it feels like a reshuffle for an election, uh, or at least a reshuffle to get the domestic agenda done and then run on whatever you say levelling up is. Um, I mean, we've sort of had this point before that levelling up is a bit of a meaningless phrase because it means things to different things to different people. But if the government can point to a few new infrastructure projects, some 
improvements in the town's fund, you know, pick a wall with, I don't know, universities or writers or some sort of left-wing journalist lovey type that they can say all the woke elites are, are doing this. They've probably got a manufacturing of the round with the EU. Johnson probably thinks that's enough for a re-election. Hopefully he's wrong. So, for example, with this universal credit, is it a scandal or is it just a minor inconvenience to the Tories? So do they, do they understand that? You know, is it like half of people on universal credit are in work? Is that a distinction they'd make? I don't know. I, I think it's going to, I mean, Stephen, I've talked about I think it's a massive issue for them. I think it's a massive, like, the thing with Boris Johnson is that ordinary, a lot of people voted Conservative because they thought he was a different kind of Conservative and thought he kind of spoke to them in a way that different Conservatives didn't. And the fact that, as you say, there's so many families in work who have been struggling to make ends meet throughout all of this and are now essentially going to get plunged into poverty because you've got rising energy prices like you said um you've got rising food prices as well i think inflation reached three percent it's as high as it's been for a while i think it's a massive issue for them and there's going to be so many examples of people being plunged into poverty as a result of this i think it's a massive massive issue part of me wonders if it's just part of the the fiscal retrenchment this is rishi sunak and the, and the treasury saying we can't afford this a bit like the wind down the furlough I, I don't know but i suspect that might be part of it because attacking people on benefits has been quite popular but i don't i don't i, I think the public moves in a different place now yeah it's not 2011 anymore i mean there's a, more of a realization that if you're on universal credit there's a decent chance you're in a job as well and probably i think something else we talked about at the start of the pandemic was when you had people who were going through the universal credit system who hadn't had to apply for it before and hadn't quite realised how low a level it was, hadn't quite realised how low level sick pay was, hadn't realised the sheer amount of bureaucracy, I think, given we've had millions of people on furlough, I've probably seen firsthand how terrible or unjust a lot of our welfare system is. I think that that's probably led to a lot of sympathy as well, as well as the fact that people are obviously out of work through no fault of their own because it's a pandemic and people don't necessarily i think i think now think it's because people are, are skivers yeah because um i i work with people who are on various benefits and they're about you know 400 pounds a month that's not mm. that doesn't go very far you may have a part-time job on top of that but if you've got two kids and a mortgage to pay and like and this is this is what I, I don't understand is that that disconnect. So that minister who clearly didn't understand the system, do they then want to understand the system, or is it just they still have the outdated notion that if you're on benefits, you deserve it because you you just don't want to work hard? So if you're looking at it, if you're going to look at it purely from the electoral stance of the Conservative Party, the Conservative Electoral Coalition at the moment is mainly very very wealthy families in the south who probably aren't affected by this um it's older or middle-aged families or retirees who own their own homes and are probably quite well off and we've talked about that phenomenon before in where people in red wall seats who own the homes quite well off and so actually 
probably aren't affected by the increase in national insurance or the cut in universal credit. So I think if you're looking at it purely from, and you shouldn't really, but if you're going to look at it just from a, a purely seat counting perspective, actually what's happening is a massive transfer of wealth from people who don't vote conservative to people who do, which I suppose probably makes quite political sense, doesn't it? Yeah, and they're disenfranchised for more people who don't vote for you, so they, they don't matter. I might be being overly cynical. Do you think um, the force of people to bring ID to vote, is that going to happen? Ooh, probably. Yeah. I think probably in some form. Well, like, if but, it was a passport, though, that would rule many, many people else. Yeah, massively. Passport or driver license. And that, yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? If it, it wouldn't just be any form of photo ID. It would just be, uh, I think it will go through, but then I think that actually it will probably end up inconveniencing a lot of people who might also vote Tory. It's like the Republican efforts to vote suppress, which are going to end up suppressing their own voters, I suspect. Okay, should we bring this back to energy? Yeah, should, we could try, couldn't we? So, okay, um, I'll, 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 I'll make a point that brings it back to energy. So, and then you can splice it together and then you can take that little bit and I know for. for for somebody on the bus to listen to it. Okay, yeah, so the £400 increase in central energy bills for uh, consumers isn't really good news that you'd think of it for uh, your suppliers. So the, the energy price gap means that energy suppliers can't set a you know standard market price. So what in effect means is that their margins are squeezed so even if bills go up by £400, that doesn't necessarily mean that the suppliers are making £400 more profit. It, 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 it could even mean in some circumstances they're still losing money on, those, on that customer because prices may go up £400, but wholesale gas price costs may go up by £410, for example. So you, you've got a really broken market, which is why so many companies are going bust. As, as I said earlier, there are some big companies who are able to hedge their bets long term and try and find new ways to make money in the short term. And then you've got these smaller suppliers who can't adapt, who just go bust to short-term shocks in the market. It's a little bit of a mess, really, isn't it? It is. Um, there was a massive controversy about energy prices being rip-off. And the, the, there is maybe some validity in that, because basically what used to happen is you'd have like 90% of customers wouldn't switch. So they'd be on a standard tariff and because they didn't switch, basically energy company could just name their price for them. Then when the price cap came in, that ended all that overnight. And companies that were making lots of money suddenly found they couldn't make any money whatsoever. And now you have a highly regulated system that doesn't really work for anybody because fuel poverty is higher now than it was through these controversies because in terms of real term, real term wages, real term wages are down. You know, if you're a nurse, you've had what a one percent pay rise the last seven years or something stupid. I don't know the exact figure, but you get the point. And bills, whilst have whilst a price cap has meant that the cap means that suppliers can't name a price, it adjusts according to Ofgem. So what happens is wholesale gas prices go up. Ofgem moves the cap, but that, but then 
the wholesale price might go up again the next week. And that price cap means that that supplier can't adapt and therefore may lose money. Because there's a lag effect. So uh, the price cap is, is changed every six months. So if you're a smaller supplier, you are much, much, much less able to adapt. That was a terrible sentence, sorry. Uh, you, you've got real problems when spikes happen. So essentially, we've managed to create an, an energy system where millions of people are still in fuel poverty, but then we also managed to bankrupt all the energy companies. That is, that's <laughs> a simplified version, which I would argue is correct. We, we now have a system that works for nobody. Ah, uh, well, I do like to leave it on despair. Thanks for that, Shaz. <laughs>